Jesus Christ said this, quote, I am coming quickly, close quote. Let me tell you something, God is coming and we better be ready. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, my name is Rod Hember. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV on this day as we look at Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible before we begin new, and it is interesting. All right, Corey, what's going on? All right, well, Revelation chapter 22 talks about a very interesting kind of fruit tree, but you and I are going to be taking a look at the other biblically mentioned fruit trees. Ryan? Well, similarly, in Revelation 21 and 22, we read all about the new heavens and new earth where the original Edenic state is restored. And to go along with this, my segment today is a search for the original Garden of Eden. And that, that, that is, both of you, absolutely fascinating. Look forward to that. What are you doing? Hey, this is our final fun Friday wrap up for the year. Revelation 22, verses 7 through 21. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every one according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Revelation chapter 22, verses 7 through 21. Revelation 22 is an amazing passage of scripture. You know, it's the last chapter in the book of the Bible. That is amazing. And, and as we look at this chapter, I want to remind you that if you're not on the mailing list, why not? You need to get your Bible guide from us every month. It'll take you through the Bible. I won't get you involved in all kinds of letters, pitching for money and all that stuff. I don't do that. But what I can say to you is that it's automatic. And every month at the beginning of the month, we send the Bible guide to you. So I need you to understand that if you want to follow with us, that's important because tomorrow is the first of the year. And on Saturday, we won't be here on television, but the Bible guide starts you off. And uh, the weekends are very, very good. So make sure that you get a hold of it. Now, the last words of Revelation 22 are both encouraging and sobering. Now we're told that Christ is coming quickly and that we should be ready. We are also told not to take away or to add to the words of John that he had written. Now, Revelation, the book, was probably accepted around AD 98 as the word of God. In the last 2,000 years, this special book has changed the way we look and think about God and his promises to come again. Let's hold fast to Christ's promises. Quote, surely I am coming quickly, Jesus says, close quote. We conclude the Bible and a year of going through the entirety of God's word with these final words, quote, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that, of course, is in Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. Now, may the Lord bless you. Here's number 624. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace as he writes his name on your life this week and this year and this day. Very, very important. As we close the year, let's look at these words. Very important. I am coming quickly. Revelation 22, 7 to 21. Father, I pray today that we would listen to your word, speak to us. And as we do so, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to hear you. Help us, Lord. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, this is great. All right. Last words of the Bible. We'll start tomorrow in the Bible guide with the first words of the Bible. Anyway, the Bible says, this is Jesus Christ talking, 22.7, Behold, I am coming quickly. What I've said all year. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy or the prophecy of this book. I am coming quickly. 
Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, John, for I am your fellow servant. This angel's your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. First commandment, commandment number one. Beloved, we do not worship angels. We do not pray to them. We do not worship them. Jesus Christ taught us how to pray. We are servants of the Lord God, and we worship only him. What did Jesus Christ tell us to pray? He said, you pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Isn't that interesting? God taught us never to pray to angels. Angels are the servants of God as we are the servants of God. Very important. Need to make that point. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous or right with God, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Fascinating. We will only change when the Holy Spirit is invited into our life at salvation, beloved. We must come to Jesus Christ to be saved. There's no other way. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, Father, forgive me. You died on the cross, paid the cost of sin, and you rose again. Death could not keep you in the ground. So, Father, I come to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Make me right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how we come to Christ. You know what God does? Gives us a measure of his Holy Spirit to secure us, to mark us. So I want to tell you something. Uh, if you want to be right with God, that is the best thing to do. And uh, I just tell you, you know, you'll have fights in this earth and struggles with spiritual principalities and all that. You will win because Jesus Christ won. All right. The last chapter is here. Chapter 22, verses 12 to 21. And behold, I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. That's the Greek letters of beginning and end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. The first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commands. And they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star and the spirit of the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, 
and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so I come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord our God, Jesus, be with you all. Amen and amen. The point is we must never change the scripture from its meaning in any way. The Holy Spirit will help and teach us to understand as we read. Understand as we read. Father, today, thank you for helping us to complete another journey through your word. Now, tomorrow we're going to begin a new journey. So, Father, help us to begin that journey, the 32nd journey, as we learn even more. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Revelation chapter 22, the Bible talks about the tree of life and bearing all sorts of amazing fruit. And as we read through the Bible, there are several different kinds of fruit trees that are mentioned that provided everyday food and uh, staples for people living in ancient Israel. So today, you and I are actually going to be focusing in on some of these biblically mentioned fruit trees and learn what we can learn about the daily lives of people who ate and grew these trees. Throughout the Bible, there are many references to different types of fruit trees. Nearly synonymous with the Middle East even today is the olive tree, which is mentioned in the Bible as one of the main products of Israel. In the ancient world, olives were grown for their oil rather than for the fruit in its raw state. These evergreen trees bloom in the early summer with hundreds of small white flowers. At harvest time, the trees would be beaten with sticks to dislodge the olives that would be collected and carried off to be pressed for their oil. Olive oil had many applications. It was a staple of food preparation, was used medicinally to treat wounds, practically as fuel for lamps, and religiously as offerings for anointing and to light the tabernacle and temple. Biblically, olive trees are used symbolically to represent blessing, and on the flip side, their destruction is seen as God's judgment. They're also used as a symbol of beauty, and famously, the prophets likely have olive trees in mind when they spoke of the Messiah as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. 
Olive trees were propagated not by seeds, but by their natural growth pattern of sending out shoots from the base of the trunk, which could be cut off and rooted into a whole new tree. Even after felling an olive tree, leaving only the stump, the tree would send out these shoots from the base, which in Israel became a symbol of children rising and growing on after the death of their fathers. Psalm 128 verse 3 says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Pomegranates were also cultivated in ancient Israel, and the interior seeds of the fruit were eaten fresh, dried for longer storage, pressed for juice, wine, and syrup production, and the fruit rinds may have been used medicinally. Symbolically, pomegranates were used to represent fertility or fruitfulness, and they adorned the priestly clothing, the decor of the temple, and were a popular design in everyday life. Figs were another important fruit grown in ancient Israel. They were a key element of the economy, and they had two harvests, the winter harvest, which was eaten fresh, and the summer harvest that was dried either individually or in cakes for food storage. For Israel, fig trees also symbolize that blessing of their covenant with God, and their destruction is envisioned as God's judgment. The sycamore trees of the Bible are also a type of fig tree, and these give six or more yields of fruit each year. Their figs were considered common food, and it's believed that in some instances, they may have been grown specifically for their wood. Dates, which grow on many varieties of date palm trees, were grown in locations throughout Israel and require extra care to ensure pollination of the flowers. The products of date palms are dates, of course, as well as date honey. Its leaves are used in the making of baskets and woven products, its fibers make cloth and rope, and its sap can be extracted as a fresh or fermented drink. So always really interesting to take a look at what was known, what was the daily life of people uh, in the times of the Bible. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's interesting because it is so different than what many of us experience today. You know, I personally live in Canada, so I live many, many miles away uh, from Israel and I live thousands of years beyond the time period of the Bible. So all my, my entire context is completely different than the context of the Old and New Testament. So getting to peer into, you know, this window of history and, and see how people lived and how they sustained themselves with fruit trees is always one of my favorite things to do um, because I think it adds a, a deeper element to our understanding than a more real and a more human element to our understanding when we see these things pop up in the scriptures, even here in Revelation. And I think it's important to remember that you can do that. Uh, you can you can look at the history of these things and go oh, back yeah. and see even before the revolution, like the Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. the Electronic Revolution, all of that. And I, and I think we should do that. But we've gotten so busy, you know, even in our pandemic, we have all this time. And uh, but we got we're busy in that time of social media and everything. Yeah, else. we fill it up. We need to to really do what you say. That's very good, Ryan. Yeah. Well, today my segment is based on Revelation chapters twenty one and twenty two, which tells of the new heavens and the new earth. And you know this is really exciting because at that time God's going to restore everything to the way it was in the beginning before mankind spoiled it through sin. It's going to be restored to that perfect state that we had in Eden. But today I thought it would be really interesting to search for the original Garden of Eden. Has this long lost paradise been found? Let's study. 
For a great many years, man has searched high and low for the ancient Garden of Eden. And while numerous theories abound, its precise location remains elusive. It causes one to wonder if this Garden of God will ever be found. Interestingly, the biblical, geological, and geographical evidence all seem to suggest that this original garden is truly forever lost. As many theologians and biblical creationists have pointed out, the Genesis flood of Noah's day, which was nothing less than global in extent, completely devastated and rearranged the topography of the earth. So Eden, wherever it was, is probably buried under kilometers of sediment. In addition, Genesis describes a river flowing out of Eden, which divided into four individual rivers. Yet there is no place on earth today that has this unique geological feature, not even in Mesopotamia, where many believe Eden lies. Even the Bible itself seems to indicate that Eden was buried. In Ezekiel 31:18, God says to Egypt, To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? You shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. Although it seems likely that the Garden of Eden won't be excavated by archaeologists anytime soon, if we tease out all the geographical clues possible from Genesis 2, we can arrive at a rough model for Eden. For example, since the single river coming out of Eden breaks up into four rivers, we know that Eden must be higher than the surrounding region, perhaps much higher. This may be one of the reasons why many scholars think that Eden was located atop a mountain. Another reason might be that Ezekiel 28, which is full of Edenic imagery, refers several times to the mountain of God. It also makes sense of Isaiah's Edenic allusions, which identify the future Eden with the mountain of God, which is Mount Zion. Furthermore, as Lita Sanders and Robert Carter point out, a mountain location would also explain how there was apparently only one entrance to Eden that needed to be guarded. All other routes could have been impassable due to the steepness of the terrain at other points. Significantly, we see this garden mountain theme outside of the Bible as well. In fact, this fits the later Babylonian, Median, Persian understanding of a garden paradise. For example, the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon were apparently modeled after the mountainous region of Media. Additionally, early religious buildings from Mesopotamian ziggurats to Egyptian and Mesoamerican pyramids share a mountain-like shape. The idea that the gods were associated with high mountains is almost universal in ancient cultures, to the point where mountains were considered holy places, and ancient people even constructed artificial mountains as places of worship. Even though Eden is now lost, and we can only speculate about what it was like, thankfully God has promised to one day restore this perfect garden paradise for those who love him. So even though the original Garden of Eden is gone, as you saw, we can sort of scripturally reconstruct what it may have looked like. The whole idea of Eden being atop a mountain is really interesting and consistent with the language used in Ezekiel and Isaiah in their Edenic allusions. And the mountain garden theme is also consistent with extra-biblical evidence as well. Of course, the coming Eden, Mount Zion, is what us believers should really be excited about. God will indeed restore everything back to its perfect Edenic state, as he promises in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. 
Yeah. Praise God. And it, it really is important for us to look in that direction instead mm -hmm. of continuing looking back. Janice? All right. Well, Corey, tomorrow is the final wrap-up that you'll be doing it for is. 2021. Tell us. It is. Okay, so every Saturday on my YouTube channel this year, I have released a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap. So the idea is just to keep you caught up on your Bible reading, your assigned Bible reading. So tomorrow will be the last one for the year. We are finishing up the scriptures. It's really exciting. So join me at Corey Bebechko on YouTube. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that this is the last day of 2021. Where has it gone? We want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have joined us, whether it's been all year, whether it's just been for the half year, whether it's just today that you've turned the TV on and found us. We are so glad that you're here and we hope that you'll join us on Monday, January the 3rd, when we start all over again in the book of Genesis. This is the 32nd year in 2022 that this program has taken viewers and us through the Bible. So we are very, very excited to start that journey once again. Now, on Fridays, all this year, we have done our Fun Friday wrap-up. I've asked questions of Ryan and Corey, and so many of you have joined along with us. I just have a, about three questions, easy ones, for you to answer. All right. Three? Three. Oh, so boy. how okay. many chapters are in the book of Revelation? 22. Very good. There you go. All right. Next question. What is the last word in the Bible? Amen. Very good. The look Too at right. that. Too right. How are you it. doing at home? <laughs> are you doing okay? All right. Now, here's a question that you might not know, and it's not really from the Bible, but this is just out of curiosity. How many questions have you, and have you, if you've watched all year, how many questions have you answered on Fridays in 2021? How many mm. questions have we answered? Um, well, there's How many weeks? 52 <laughs> weeks, right? Yeah. So it would be 52. 52 Fridays, right? Well, except minus one. <laughs> so 51? Something like that. <laughs> what, is there not a Friday? You're close. You're well, it close. depends on when the year started. Yeah. Right? I think can't 52. remember. Right? Because there are 52 weeks, but you're right. It depends on what year you're Maybe in 50. and what day the year yeah. starts on. So I know some of you are at home flipping through your calendars <laughs> or you're going on your phone and yeah, you're opening I it up. It's actually 53. Oh, okay. You oh, have answered 53 questions in 2021. Mm. There's 53 Fridays in, in, this, in this past year. In twenty twenty one. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. There so you go. there you go. And congratulations, because I think... Probably you're in the high 90th percentile of nice. getting the answers right. Maybe <laughs> next year I'll keep score. I will Ooh. see so that at the end of the year we can tally it up or even halfway through the year. We'll see how you're doing. I know a lot of you write to me at home and say, I got it. Good for you. We'll see it in the new year.
One final time, remember to write and be a part of the Bible Guy. Get it every month. We want to encourage you because God is taking us through his word and we're learning more from him. That becomes very, very important. As we pray, we say, Lord, I praise your wonderful name. Praise your name, Lord. I want to thank you for helping me be your servant and help me, Lord, today to live for you in every way I possibly can. And we said together, amen.